Hello, my name is Peter Cinnamon and this is an Irish League podcast called Kicking Match, which comes at you weekly. And we can finally say it, the squads are set. The transfer window is closed and somebody is going to win this league and it's going to be with the toys currently sitting in their chest. Some teams stuck, others twisted, some twisting a lot more than others. We'll run our eyes over it all. Who were the biggest movers and shakers within the league? What could it mean for the title race and beyond? And most importantly, what player will end up playing with the most ridiculously high random squad number on their back for about half a season? We'll probably not get an answer to that in this podcast, but if a player does actually play with the number 99 on their back, I think some fans' heads may literally explode. As we wait for that to probably not happen, let's get down to business, shall we? I forgot to say that last week was Kicking Match 25. It's now obviously Kicking Match episode 26, but I just would like to say thank you very much. If you've been here from the very start, uh, you're absolute class. If you're just joining me these past few weeks or even this is the first time, you're very welcome. I hope you're well with 25, now 26 being passed. It's mad to think how deep we are into the season. But let's not worry about that as there was lots of great games. There was some cracking goals this weekend and on top of that there is a whole collection of cup games coming up this saturday and of course the transfer window has slammed shut it doesn't close with a whimper and if i'm creating any kind of tradition on this podcast it seems like inviting this man on for a bit of transfer frolics a bit of crack when it comes to swapping shirts and posing beside the manager well he seems to be the man for the job he's one of the best sports journalists for me, this country has to offer. He's an absolute joy to talk to. A massive welcome back to Stephen Looney. Stephen, the last time I was talking to you, it was at the end of a transfer window. We were talking about Jordan Stewart playing for another team and Glenn Torn were on a hot streak. So much has changed, yet uh, so little has. Well, yeah, it's the Irish League, Peter, isn't it? Never a dull moment. Thank goodness, going back to that start of the season when Glenn Torn were flying. 15 wins in a row, only conceded two goals, and then the wheels came off. Not for the first time with Glenn Torn in recent seasons, unfortunately. Um, we saw the probably inevitable car park protest in East Belfast. And and I must say, Peter, I was a bit surprised that uh, that Mick resigned three days later. Just if we're talking about Glenn Torn, I thought he would have been a bit more... Mick's a headstrong guy, you know, and I thought he would have wanted to sort of see it through. I think that... You know, I, I do think that he would have believed if we've gone 15 games, you know, winning in a row before, we mightn't be able to do that again, but we can put together another run and get back on track. It seems possibly to be happening now with Roddy McAree in charge, but uh, Mick is gone as far as being a manager is concerned. And it might divide a lot of Glen Torn people, uh, but a lot of Glen Torn fans wanted to see him leave the position he was in. He's obviously been gone for a couple of weeks now but from someone who's watched the game for a long time what kind of legacy do you think he'll leave he hasn't completely exited the stage but he had a roller coaster of a time being a manager for one of the most high profile clubs on this island i think i'll always remember the streak uh, that we saw what, what will be the big highlights that you'll think back when you when the name mick mcdermott comes out mick's a peculiar animal Okay, people have asked me a lot about Mick in recent times, and I've consistently said, Peter, in my view, Mick is 95% great industry, vision, energy, professionalism, 
and he has worked his butt off at that club, certainly for three years until he brought general manager Desi Curry in um, to take some of the responsibilities off him. I think so far he's been a, a, a positive for Glen Torn, a very positive, very big positive for Glen Torn. <laughs> Because they were going nowhere by the time he took over, they were in trouble. As a manager, I have to say, well, if you look at it baldly, Glen Torn in the last few years under Mick weren't, weren't able to sustain a full campaign as such. They either got off to a slow start, maybe lost points before Christmas, or last season it was they blew up at the end, now they've blown up before Christmas. You know, that, that's, that, that, that spells warning signs for me. Yes, you could say, and Mick's entitled to say, yes, we did have serious injuries to contend with. You could say other clubs had serious injuries to contend with as well. Um, but um, I think Mick's not a stupid person. I think it would have been a better pill to swallow, but I do think he accepted that maybe his time as manager was up. We'll have to see, Peter. I mean, it's a bit of a cruel game because we'll, we're going to have to compare Rodney McAree's team to Mick's team. And he's he's done everything right so far. Okay, he's had the arrival of Niall McGinn and he's had, you know, getting the likes of Aidan Wilson back. And of course, we know Shane McCartan returned from suspension to great success on Monday night. Just a wee interesting thing, Peter. Like, just uh, could be something and nothing, an insight. Niall McGinn's first game with Glen Torn was the defeat to Lauren, which prompted the car park protest. Mick started him on the right. In the following two games, Rodney started him on the left and he scored four goals. So, you know, that that's an insight. It may be something or nothing. I think it I think the time to judge would be at the end of the season, really, when we see how Rodney does with the team. Well, let's go to the man sitting in the hot seat in East Belfast. Rodney McAree as starts go, as new manager bounces go. It's so far so good. Four wins in all competitions. His latest coming against Crusaders on Monday night on Sky Sports. It was the first time Glen Torn have come out the victors in a top six meeting and seven attempts. There's clearly controversy in this game. Something's working and as you alluded to, maybe it's a change of formation, maybe it's it's setting out the team slightly differently but right now you can only judge it game by game but he's getting these results. He's somewhat got that monkey off the player's back well yeah yeah again this is nothing specific on mick mcdermott but listen to more you know to successful managers over the years and sometimes you just need a new voice in the train changing room sometimes you need to freshen things up it's my personal opinion that there was something more of a malaise in the glen torn squad than simply the injuries there were some players who just weren't at the races peter uh, their form had gone off the boil, and it remains to be seen if um, Rodney can now get the best out of them because, unfortunately, Mick wasn't. And, and again, you've got to say that Niall McGinn, the arrival of Niall McGinn, can go one of two ways. It seems to have been brilliant. Now, not only is he a good footballer, Peter, but he's a, he don't like being patronised, but he's a real, real good bloke, good football man, good guy to have around the change rooms, but a crack about him, decent feet in the ground, no airs and graces about him. And that'll have helped undoubtedly as well. There will be somewhat of a batten down the hatches approach. Right now, Glentor no after looking like potentially the runaway champions earlier on in the season. They are saying they're behind the eight ball is an understatement. A lot of people have somewhat ruled them out. Clearly, we're not even close to being mathematically impossible right now, but they've got a lot of games to make up. We've got a lot of points to make up. That win against Crusaders on Monday uh, could be vital in how the rest of their season now goes. Let's hit 
the main talking point, one of the big headlines coming out. Two goals for Shane McCartan. He's a player they missed for all the weeks that he was out with suspension. But the first goal is uh, surrounded in controversy. The handball, should it have been picked out by the referee, goes in for a diving header and the hand's in there somewhere. How do you feel Crusaders fans look at the referee's performance on Monday? Well, they'll be furious, of course. I mean, everybody, we know it was a handball. I mean, you know, Shea, I think, has come out and admitted it. I did look at it and I looked at replays, Peter, and the only thing, one thing I'll say is that the referee was kind of in line as such and the Crusaders defender would have maybe obscured his vision. So in fairness to the referee, I'm not sure he could have known 100% that it was a handball, but I would have thought his assistance could have helped him out, you know, with a, a different angle. So it, it shouldn't have stood in my book. The referee, I would give him a bit of a bye-ball, but the referee and team between them, I think they should have spotted it. We obviously have our own certain views when we look back at it from the camera angles. I feel very sympathetic towards the referee. That doesn't take anything away from the frustration from anybody associated with Crusaders when it comes to that goal. But looking at it numerous times, first time, second time, watching it raw, I must admit, it, it could be missed. It's He dives in. He, it, I don't think that in a snapshot that is blatant. And as you alluded to, if you're the referee and a goal goes in and you're going to chalk it off, and that situation that that was in, you have to be 100% sure. And I don't know. Maybe the linesman should be able to make that call. That's why they're in that position. But if the referee said that he couldn't 100% decipher if there was a hand in the lead up to that goal, I don't think it's blatant enough where you can go, how did he miss it? But these are the breaks. It's frustrating. And Glenn's fans will say for once, it's fallen to them. Well, I think that's what Shea said. I don't know if it, I'm not too sure if it balances out or whatever. Of course, Glenn Mendel said, if the, if the tables were turned, Crusaders fans would be saying the same thing as well. Looking back to previous semi-finals and cup competitions and penalty shootouts and whatnot. <laughs> Sometimes you got to just take these things in the chin. Football is not a perfect game, no matter what the attempts of VAR and whatever else at the higher echelons. It's never going to be a perfect game. And sometimes you just got to take these things in the chin. And it's how you deal with the adversity. If you feel sorry for yourself and get to feel down and think everybody's out to get us, then it'll work against you. But if you take it on the chin and say, that's football, and, you know, roll your sleeves up and get stuck in, maybe it can work for you. Cruel one, though. I have to say, Peter, yes, and we're sort of both agreeing that maybe it was a difficult one for the, for the referee. But, you know, I wouldn't like to think that our refereeing officials or teams around the grounds would say, yes, in that situation, we, none of us would be able to see it. I think it should have been found out. Yeah, I think that's a time of reflection for sure. And one thing I also want to talk about, I put out a graphic last week and it was as we approach the end of the season now and we look at these top six battles right now and, and I wanted to, to figure out who is winning out here? And in that table that I put together and I put out up until now, Crusaders were the team on top of the table when it comes to games like between the top six. In the big games, Crusaders are the ones that are top of that mini table. But right now, they're not top of the table. In fact, they're a couple of points away from the top. The, the phrase that has been associated with the club this season has been flying under the radar. And I guess that comes from the fact that 
despite there being some real big highs for Crusaders, particularly uh, against Linfield and others and against Glentorn and other big games, they are there's too many slips along the way that's somewhat put them further than they would like to be when it comes to fighting for the title this year. Yes, you know, I spoke to Stephen Baxter a couple of weeks ago about this, you know, about looking forward, about playing, you know, Glen Torn and then, you know, Linfield back-to-back almost. And he sort of said, and he said it before, he's not particularly worried about the big games. It's the smaller games against your Carricks and Dungannons where he slips up, particularly away from home, Glen Avon as well. And, and that would be a concern for me, Peter, because if you want to win a title, you have to do the business against the smaller teams. Okay, not 100%. But you look at Linfield, ruthless machine, you know, big teams, big top six, bottom six, not necessarily this season, but I'm talking about in, in the last few years under David Healy, they've been a machine. And it also harks to maybe a sort of a, you know, you'd have question marks about the mental strength and approach, you know, maybe from Crusaders players or any other team that's doing well against big teams and slipping up against lower teams. Why can the players do it against the big teams and then, you know, it must be a concentration thing or maybe a confidence thing? Or It's, it's funny you mentioned Linfield because they're almost the complete opposite. They are somewhat almost perfect against the bottom six sides this year. The only time they've dropped points was, I believe, that famous game away to Carrick earlier on in the season. But when it comes to... Facing off against the top teams, they are bottom. They are six of six, and that's mainly due to settling for draws or, or, or not getting the, the job done in some of the big games. They've had their big victories, no doubt. And there's been times when I've seen Crusaders and I felt, and it might be because I was prisoner of the moment, and I just looked at them and I saw how great they can be, how free-flowing they can be, how they just put you know, the fear of God in, in some defences. But then there's the odd game where it's the Balamina at home. It's the other carrot game where Paulie gets sent off, where it just somewhat falls apart. Is it perhaps, look, and you're not going to completely outrun everybody. Is it a squad thing, perhaps? Because Crusaders have such a strong 11 to 14 players and they've had a lot of injuries, that's clear. But... Is it perhaps when they have these big games or such big highs and they've run themselves so much into the ground that when they go to a ground that perhaps isn't set up, be it the surface or how big the pitch is set up, that's just where teams have been able to get at them when the the pressure isn't as on as much? Yeah, and I think one thing that's sort of been suggested to me as well around Seaview is that it's not trying to be disparaging You know, when you talk about lesser teams or bottom six or not the big teams. One factor that, that that's some around CV point to as a possible factor is a lack of atmosphere at the big games, you know, with the Oval, you know, Solitude, Windsor, Crusaders playing the big teams at home. It's a great atmosphere and the players buy into that. It seems to be that um, if there's not such a great atmosphere, then it can maybe drop a level or two, which again is worrying. I don't want to deride Crusaders too much at all. I mean, they have surprised me, I must say. You know, you look at their midfield and you think, uh-oh, are they ageing? But, I mean, Philip Laurie's been absolutely phenomenal this this season. Same for Jordan for Scythe. Decky Cadell, since he's come back out of retirement, has been superb as well. The old guard is delivering as such. The defence is much better now. Even though they're having to chop and change this year's defence, 
they're much more comfortable with each other than in previous years where because they had to chop and change the, the central defensive partnership they, they they lost points and they lost momentum it didn't net but now you know you've got I mean Daniel Armour's a great player and Chris Hegarty when he's fit and he is fit a lot these days he's superb as well so that's helped them a lot as well the consistency are they consistent enough to, to, to make a real tilt for the title who knows they've surprised me a bit before now but they have five big games to end the season no matter what where if they're getting wins they're taking points off the other and that's what I thought when I looked upon them that if they can keep their nose relatively clean against other teams they are as best poised as anybody to take on a lot and then a Glentoran and a Linfield back to back to back one thing that we look at Crusaders from an external point of view and what's been some of their Brilliant success has been the goal scorers and uh, and some of the big strikers over the past decade. There has been lots of talk uh, this month. The window is now shut, of course, that Matthew Fitzpatrick was the bell of the ball. He was the, the glint in uh, Stephen Baxter's eyes. It didn't happen this window. Did that ever come close or was it uh, mere sideway glances and it just wasn't to be? Well, there were there were discussions. Um, there were discussions for sure. Um, now, Glenavon are being a bit touchy about this. They're insisting that there was no bid made. Now, whether you're dancing on a pinhead and does that mean that there was no official bid made in writing? My understanding and very very clear understanding um, from CBU is there were certainly there were three verbal uh, offers made for Matthew Fitzpatrick. The long and the short of it is that Crusaders were prepared to offer 40,000, maybe plus a player, and Glenavon were not interested in 40,000 plus any of Crusaders' players at all. So um, Crusaders, you know, had a couple of nibbles. I mean, they actually inquired about him well before Christmas, but no, uh, they, they had pretty much resigned themselves from a Crusaders' point of view. Glenavon were talking about, they didn't mention the figure of 100 grand, but they pointed to Shane McCartan and Lee Bonus and said, well, if they're worth, you know, if that's what they're worth, what is Fitzy worth? It's a moot point. Um, so, no, I think Crusaders accepted it was dead later on. They knew Glenavon were not going to accept 40, 40, 40,000 pounds. And, and in fairness, I mean, from, from Glenavon's point of view, What's 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 Guy Hamilton gonna do with forty grand or sixty grand or seventy grand? Like, where's he gonna get a Matthew Fitzpatrick? You know, for that really. So it sort of shows you where how the landscape has changed, particularly you know in the transfer market these days. It's a lot more cagey. You know, clubs are signing up players longer, three, four years instead of two years, because they become assets. They have and because they know that if other clubs want to sign their players, they're gonna to have to pay good, good, good readies for it. Well, an asset that uh, is no longer playing in the, in the black and red it happened uh, a week and a half ago or so was Johnny McMurray he leaves for the championship he returns to Warren Point Town a fee paid there from my point of view it looks as though uh, the new year form of Dean Ebbe somewhat made that easier facilitated uh, Johnny McMurray moving on it just it ultimately just didn't work out for him over in North Belfast I wouldn't necessarily say that I mean he'll always be remembered for that last gas winner in the Irish Cup final last year I mean Johnny is a particular um, animal uh, a very good player I thought that Johnny was trying too hard when he first joined Crusaders I thought he really liked going to save you 
I thought he was trying too hard to impress. Um, then there was the chopping and changing, you know, like was it Jordan Owens, Adam Lackey, then Dean Abbey came in and Johnny came in. And um, I think Johnny maybe felt he was down the packing order behind, certainly um, Adam Lackey. Um, Crusaders needed goals. You know, they wanted more goals from the front men as such. Now they've got plenty of goals from midfield and elsewhere. So Stephen made the move, put the two strikers on the list. I think it was a bit of a wake-up call for Dean, maybe. You know, I think it was a bit of a sure. reality bite situation. Now, yes, he's improved uh, and shown a bit of form. And there is a good player in him. I mean, the boys rave about him in training. They say he's absolutely phenomenal. But we haven't seen it translate to the, to, to, to the pitch as yet. Um, Johnny... Johnny's at a stage where he, I think he just wants to be happy in his game. You know, people might raise eyebrows at him going down to the championship, but he's played under Barry Gray before. He was happy playing under Barry Gray. Johnny has a family now. And uh, I think the part game, part-time game suited him more. So I wish him well. I'm sorry it didn't work out for Johnny. You know, you could say, could he have been given more of a chance? Possibly, yes. But, you know, Stephen's been chopping and changing every striker, so you could say that everybody, none of them have had a... At a club like Crusaders, it's somewhat, what have you done for me lately? And uh, you, you talk about Dean Ebe, and it felt as though his season never really got going, and in his fleeting appearances at the start, he, he wasn't making a bit of, big impact. And then recently, yes, it starts against championship opposition in Dergview when he was thrown into the team at the uh, at the Irish Cup, but he's got the odd goal in the league. He's the latest one to be given the baton and go make this space in the team yours. And uh, and uh, for now, there's a lot of games to go, but uh, disappointing result for Crusaders, but they will, they will wipe their nose clean and want to get back at it. Another wee thing, just to, before we finish on the Crusaders striking situation, they were, I mean, the, the crews were sort of, if they didn't get somebody in, they were happy to, to. Well, they're thinking of maybe promoting Jay Boyd, you know, who's a, an up and coming striker coming through the, the ranks of the club. He hasn't featured heavily for them at all. He's been promoted to the first team squad, and they like the look of him, and they might try and ease him in uh, in the second half of the season. Well, I alluded to it at the start there. Jordan Stewart, all, all our talk about was he going to stay at Linfield? What was going to happen? Bids. And uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick is staying at Glenavon. And he's got a new friend in Jordan Stewart. A blockbuster deadline day loan deal. Online, Linfield fans were hoping, it seems, that Jordan Stewart was going to come back into the team. He's had fleeting appearances over the past number of weeks. And he was going to help unlock some of these bigger teams. He was going to be the creative spark that they feel they have been lacking. What a signing. Yes, only the end of the season, but what a signing for Glenavon. This could really secure their hopes for seventh place. What a player. Yes, little sucker. He's a fantastic dynamo of a player, always has been. Pickler sort of a player not burdened by self-doubt. You know, it's a huge coup. Let's start from Glenavon for point, Glenavon's point of view, first of all. Massive, massive coup for Guy Hamilton. Huge. I mean, I can't. I bet you he cannot believe this is all his Christmas has come and won. Now, uh, because it's so late, it it, it kind of caught me on the hop a little bit, but it speaks of something deeper behind the scenes at Linfield, in my humble opinion. And having thought about it, it's actually, it may actually be acute 
Shrewd move by David Healy and Linfield. It really is because I, looking at where he could have went to, Glenavon aren't going to be in the top six, realistically, when it comes to points. They aren't going to be there. But right now, they have, I think, five or six games left against the top six. It's like, here you go, Glenavon. Go wreck somebody else's season for us, please. Uh, because it wasn't working out at Limfield. There clearly been a disagreement about a transfer last summer. Did they ever get over that? We don't know. But there's a reason why Zach Glenavon and not another top six team. Of course, there's no way David Haley would allow him to go to another top six team. And I, I think that Jordan maybe played in the Irish Cup as well, which was prescient possibly and clever as well. Jordan Stewart, going back to last summer, um, my understanding of it... Jordan just wants to play football. Yes, he thinks he can. He should be the star man on any team. Whether you agree with that is another thing. I personally think he's a smashing player, and if you if you can handle him and know how to keep him happy and get him playing in the right position, he's an asset to any team. As I say, no matter what. Listen, Linfield put on a brave front last year. It was typical Linfield. Nothing to see here. Everything's all right. You know, I'm certainly of the personal belief that David Healy would not have been unhappy to see Jordan Stewart leave last summer. David will deny that, of course. Um, but that is my that is my view from having spoken to maybe other clubs that were interested in signing Jordan Stewart last year. They thought business could be done until it came down to towards the end of it. And then it was there was sort of a message got out as they do, listen, no matter what you offer, it's not gonna happen. All right, we're not selling them. Now, Suck has been injured, largely. Yes, there were there were there were hints before Christmas, before January, that one or two of the clubs might go back to him, but Linfield were again saying, listen, the line from Linfield was nobody's leaving because we have injuries to contend with. So um we might bring one or two in, but nobody's leaving the club really. And then all of a sudden, and basically at the eleventh hour, Jordan Stewart, smashing little Taro, leaves the club. Again, I could be wrong, and Linfield didn't will deny this, but it tells me that everything wasn't right behind the scenes, you know. With 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 with, I suspect, you know, Jordan would have been unhappy at not playing. David has David Healy has said himself that he has a, not a love hate relationship, but he knows exactly what Jordan's like. Jordan will do David's head in to get playing games. David's okay with that to a limit. We'll find out in the wash in the coming weeks what exactly did happen, but it's clear to me that, uh, you know, why would you let Jordan Stewart go now in a season like this? Why would you turn it on its head? What's what's the rationale from Linfield? What what benefit is there for Linfield to letting Jordan Stewart go? The cries from Linfield fans is that surely he is better in the blue shirt of Linfield if he is healthy in our title charge than he is being a potential scud against some of the other teams uh, in a Glenavon shirt. And what you are suggesting is, well, if it's not a football ability thing and you're happy enough to, to pay the wage, if the wage isn't an issue either, then it's better for him to be elsewhere and let the team concentrate on things. And him having frustrations about not being in the starting 11 consistently, this has bled on the last season as well. So this has been a long time frustration of his that seems to have potentially boiled over. And fair, listen, you've got to be fair about these things. It is possible that David Haley has made the decision. He's listened to Jordan. 
chomping at the bit. I want to play gaffer. I want to play boss. I want, I should be, blah, blah, blah. Maybe it is that David has thought, well, listen, you're not in my plans. I'll let, but I'm not going to keep you on the sidelines. I'll let you go and get games. But either way, it seems to me that, you know, that Jordan's days at Linfield are, you know, maybe numbered. As I say, you know, why would you not? What benefit is there to letting Jordan go out to any club? Why would you not keep him at Linfield? Because he could be an asset if you suffer other injuries. Joel Cooper, Kirk Miller, some of the flair players, he's ideal to come in. So what's going on behind the scenes that makes it better for Linfield as a team that he goes elsewhere? And we've already talked about it. David is very, very shrewd, as the people at Linfield are. They're thinking, well, if he's going to go, we'll make sure he doesn't damage us. And in fact, we'll make sure he could damage other rivals. And the other side of that, if he goes on, I'm talking about Stuart here, if he goes on a McMenamin-esque wide player run that we saw at the start of the season with him, if he gets anywhere close to, let's say, 10 goals between now and the end of the season, we talked about it on the podcast we first had at the end of August, figures of 100 grand, 125 grand. I don't think for a player who hasn't played for relatively consistently for four or five months, he's going to be looking for that price. Seven, eight goals, looking great for half a season. All of a sudden that value potentially returns and you have a player on your hands again that could be an asset if you don't see him at Linfield. We're talking here about where will he go next season, will he be at Linfield, whatever else. What you've got to bear in mind is who who the manager will be at Linfield next year. Um, Will it be David Haley? Will it be somebody else? If it's David Haley, I suspect Sucker's maybe going to play elsewhere. If it's not David Haley, I would think that the new manager, if there was a change of manager, would certainly want Jordan Stewart to be at the club. So that's what I'm saying is that's just the context that you're trying to, you know, speculate about because we we don't know what will happen in the future. Linfield are on top of the league right now. They haven't had a real run at the summit all season. Is Healy under threat again? No. No, not from within. No, not at all. You know, I mean, you know, again, to encompass an earlier point, none of the top six have struck forth and, and, and really, you know, all the top six are dropping points here and there. David Healy, is he under pressure? No, but David Healy has ambitions to manage elsewhere. Loves Linfield, his heart's there, but he's ambitious. He knows, you know, <laughs> you know, familiarity breeds contempt. You're at Linfield too long and you get hounded. You know, either half half the fans love you and half the fans want rid of you. You know, David Jeffrey and uh, Roy Coyle are obviously examples. Um, so he wants to try his luck elsewhere. He didn't think he would be here at this stage with Linfield. He thought he would do a job and move on to England. That hasn't proved as easy for him. But he will, in my opinion, move on from Linfield at some stage. If he won the league this year, I could see him leaving. Almost an impeccable record. And how if keeping a Latvian side from scoring for two minutes more could have could have changed the outlook for him and the club. Let's let's finish off this this little game. If it was to be the case, because I won't talk to you for a couple of months here in the podcast, unfortunately. If there was to be a case where Healy was to move away, we've seen today that Kenny Shields has left the Northern Ireland women's team. There's on the lookout for a new under-21s manager, not saying that's where he'd move on. But is there a clear secession plan of who might be the next infield manager? Is there a clear shortlist who you think they would be likely one of the first people that's getting a call? I'm sure there is. I'm sure there have been discussions informally behind the scenes at Linfield with with you know certain board members, but at the same time the board are full square behind 
David Healy, you know, he's some very, very strong allies, and rightly so. Listen, his record, as you said, speaks it for itself. If he goes, who would you be looking at? Obvious one would be Oran Kearney, wouldn't it? Um, you'd have to think he played for the Blues. He's doing a fantastic job up at Coleraine. That's who I would certainly be looking at. Whether Oran would want to leave, I don't know. You know, circumstances Oran has. He's happy enough up there in the North Coast at the minute, but he doesn't want to stay there forever. Maybe they would go the way of an ex international again. You know, I I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm I don't want to pick names out of the blue, but you know, Gareth McCauley. I don't think it would be him, but that sort of figure. You know, Grant McCann. Maybe I don't know. Would I don't think Grant would want to come back, but. That's who they might possibly look at. But um, as I say, now I think, to be fair, at Linfield, you know, like we're, we're putting the cart before the horse. They're quite happy with David. Quite happy. There's no talk about David leaving dishonorably or he's always said he'll try and do things right. So I think at the minute, everybody at Windsor is just saying, let's, let's see how this season pans out because winning the title and not winning the title could be a huge difference. i glad we, we could play along. And one thing I'd also say is that uh, we we've we've said how the Irish League has moved on considerably over the over the past decade or so, and League of Ireland has been able to draw on managers that just aren't within Irish circles. They're drawing on sometimes League Two or or, or conference managers or, or or people who are doing somewhat on the fringes of Scotland. If you were to see Healy move on, particularly to a bigger job, the same way that they're attracting players. You could see a manager go. This could be a way that I could jump off and and push on. Like you know, Paul Cook has managed a lot of teams after managing in the League of Ireland, and you could just see the same way players coming through. Managers could go. That that could be my, I could be my jumping off point. So uh, it might be an unlikely name if that was to come. But of course, he's the man in the seat right now. Well. He isn't sitting in the seat because he's been suspended for a couple of games. It's been George McCartney on the sidelines, and he and he was there to to watch a, a demolition job of Portadown. It's not looking too great for the Mid Ulster men. No, it's not. Um, with the best will in the world, I think in any walk of life when things aren't going well, you've got to stand in front of the mirror and take responsibility for what maybe you've done yourself. Portadown got rid of Matthew Tipton and brought Paul Doolan in. I was surprised at that, I must say. I understand, listen, I've worked with Paul. Paul has, he's a capable manager, he's a good football man, but he'd been out of the scene, out of management for a while, not at the cold face, and certainly didn't know the Irish League at all. Um, and it's modern guys. What I mean by that, he does know the Irish League, but he didn't know the Irish League, the modern players, the current players. So over the summer, he brought in a raft of players from outside the jurisdiction, and they were on, on paper, Peter, they're not dummies. Like They've got decent experience here and there. Didn't work. Ports were dreadful. Now, I'm looking at that and I'm saying, right, they've got rid of Paul Doolan. Paul Doolan's brought a whole raft of players in from Scotland, England, down south, whatever. And they're not dummies on paper, but just Paul couldn't get the the best out of them. So I would have thought that maybe from, I thought that it maybe brought somebody in who could work with players from outside the jurisdiction, you know, and get them to work. But they went for Niall Curry, fans' favourite, local boy, done good. And he was always going to do the complete opposite. Whether they would admit it or not, the good folk of, of Port of Down, they're not stupid. There may be no realising that, OK, if Niall can't keep us up, well, he's the best man for the job to get us back up if we do go down. And I think that that I can understand that, that that's good logic. I think they were maybe hoping for that dead cat bounce, bringing in a new manager, you know. It didn't happen before the transfer window and then... 
Niall did what Niall does. And and we'll have to see. Going to be a long, hard season for Port. I think they'll be very lucky to escape uh, relegation. Good men of Mid-Ulster will cry foul about the uh, about the uh, administrative error. There's no water in that whatsoever, Peter. And I'll say here and now, anybody, including the manager who's pointing the finger of blame at the media for this, is simply tilting at windmills. They're living in la-la land. I have great sympathy for Portadown at the time. And I voiced this. I said, now, hold on a second. Knowing the way our game here is, Peter, like we're not the Premier League. You know, things happen. You know, there's part-time players maybe leaving work at 5 o'clock to play a Friday night game and, you know, things can happen, family things, car accident, whatever, you know, and I had tremendous sympathy. I said, this isn't fair. But then I was reassured that all premiership clubs now, basically the way they operate is they're there two hours before, the players are told to be there two hours before kickoff so that if something does happen, they have plenty of time to rectify matters or rejig, do what they have to do and protect themselves. It's unfortunate that Portadown, you know, Portadown transgressed the laws here. I mean, I think they, they were, they were, their case was thrown out twice. So, again, what we're talking about earlier on, adversity, you know, do you suck it up and take it on the chin and say, okay, well, me made a record here. Let's put it behind us and move on fresh. Or do you keep pointing at the fingers of people who are out to get you, like the league and the IFA and the media? That's nonsense. I mean, that's pure nonsense. So on that front, I don't have sympathy for Portadown. I echo a lot of what you said there. We had Keith on the podcast last week. If you want to hear it in-depth, as in-depth podcast can be about that. He was the man. He was at the centre of it. We went for absolutely ages uh, talking about it and talking about Portadown there. And it's just looking back at, at the history. It's up to Portadown now if they are to go down and if they are to cry foul, well then you have to be within three points or within whatever it is, six points of, of Newry to say that it could have made a difference. Let's be absolutely clear here. Portadown have form in this front. Well, I was I was just going to say that. I was just going to say, when you look back and go, again, we'll not get into the man in the blue coat, as we talked about last week, whatever happened there. But going all the way back to the formation of this 12-team league, they're 15 minutes late for the application, relegated. Last time that they were relegated... It was due in part to a 12-point deduction that they got connected to the player Peter McMahon in regards to whatever the review was there. I really should know the details around that, but that was a big factor. They couldn't sign any professional players at that time. If you're a Port Iron fan, you're just pulling your hair out. That Look, they've been bad beyond belief for the past 18 months if you're a fan watching it, but when things behind the scenes keep happening, it's even more frustrating. It is, Peter, you know, but, but, and again, this is an area where I actually have a lot of sympathy with Portadown and other clubs. The long and the short of it is that a lot of Irish League clubs still just don't have the resources in terms of people, you know, people who will give of their time to do the job. And, and I'm sure that people at Portadown and other clubs will tell you the work that goes on behind the scenes is exhausting and you need to have time. So I understand where Portadown and other clubs may struggle simply to have the man hours to overlook all these things. But there's help there, because with the best will in the world, there have been things that are going wrong, and there are good people around uh, Portadown, and they are paying a couple of quid now, let's be honest with, with about that as well, so they're not on their uppers. But there are aspects of the game that need to be tidied up, and that's fair enough. But don't 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 go hurling wolf and trying to blame other people. Take it on the chin, learn from it, move on. And to add a point... 
parties that are, are, are not here to, to say one way or the other. Look, all those three examples there are different management teams. They're, they're different people behind the scenes. They're all a multitude of, of factors. And, you know, for Porter Down, they are trying to turn things around on the pitch after investing in a different type of player at the start of the season. A lot of them are away right now. It's it's unique because they, they talked about trying to sign players and bring them in and now they've brought in, after all this hunt for a striker, they've brought in four since, since last uh, last August with Alan O'Sullivan on loan from Warm Point, uh, the latest player coming in. You have Benny Aguillon from Dondella, Carfriel comes in and of, of course the real marquee signer for them is Paul McElroy coming in with, uh, it's been reported, a, a fee you know, are these players for this year to keep them up potentially uh, and then we'll see what happens? Are these like a sixth month give it a go type thing? Or is this somewhat building your squad for next year if they were unfortunate to go in the championship? It's probably a mix of both. But it's from an external point of view, you must look at it and go, if you're honest for any club really, you make a commitment to stay in the league, to bring the type of players in and, and give them the type of wages. But if you drop down to the championship... It's one of the most dramatic financial swaps you could probably have. Portadown had whatever the guts of 900 Linfield fans potentially there coming in through their gates. That's the second time this season they've had them through. You might have 10 games and you might not get even 900 away fans. Like That is a, a big, big drop-off to then push through and get through and try and get back up again. It's it's a real... And look, we've seen Warren Point struggle to get back up. They could potentially make a run and be up. That looks likely, but... All these players coming in are, are coming in for something to attract them to play for Porter Down, and it's seeing if it's a stick and plaster to roll the dice, or could this be the cavalry that comes? I think Paul McElroy is a very good acquisition, I must say. I mean, he, he's a player of quality about him. Um, whether he's consistent enough is maybe the only question mark for clubs that he's been at previously, but I certainly rate the lad quite highly, and I think he's probably... Um, you know, he's somebody that you could maybe pin your hopes on. I, you know, I don't want to place too much pressure on on, on Paul, but the likes of um, Alan Sullivan from Warren Point. Alan O'Sullivan's a player they've always liked. He's got a physical presence. He can cause havoc, but there's not enough product with him. Certainly in the top flight, he he had um, a great season like three years ago where. He, I'm sure he got double double figures for for Warren Point again. I'll not be specific because I don't have to hand, but yeah, you're absolutely right. That's based on that form. Can he can he come in and, and change things? Up why him? why is Barry Gray letting him go when he's pushing for the prim- for promotion to the Premiership? Oh, it, it's like I mean, I'm I'm not asking. It's uh, you know it's a rhetorical question. You know, but you've got to ask yourself that. Um, so you know, but I mean, in terms of the drop for the championship, listen. Those players will have signed. They, they, I mean, they're not stupid. If they, they, they know what they're walking into. They know they're signing for a club at the bottom of the league that's kind of somewhat marooned. They know that there's a distinct possibility they may end up playing in the championship, and they must have accepted it. They've signed a contract that they must honour with Portadown, and Portadown have offered a contract that they must, you know, honour with the players, and I, I don't think that's a problem at all. Pinging through... Teams at the bottom that Portadown will hope and have their fingers and toes and everything crossed is the likes of Dungannon, Swiss and Uri to hold tight. Dungannon didn't hold tight against one of the informed teams of the league, Coleraine. They 
I'm waxing lyrical about them because they're getting really tight at the back, but they have great squad depth up top in particular, in midfield, in the wide areas. There's a lot of rotation, sometimes for suspension, sometimes for injuries. And another great win for Coleraine. Two goals from, for me, I, I, you know, maybe the five goal could have been Shevlin's, but two goals from, for me, best striker in the league. Matthew Shevlin has it all. Brilliant performance of him on Saturday in a 3-0 win over Dungannon. Yeah, Matty Shevlin, uh, super young player, super lad. You know, again, I don't want to blow smoke too much, but, I, you know, I'm a big fan of Warren Kearney and what his managerial capabilities are, and look what he's done. You know, he's, he's, he's brought Matthew on from being a prospect to now being, as you say, certainly currently the best striker in the league. He just had, I mean, looking at the goals at the weekend there, like, you know, maybe the defenders could have got a bit closer, but still he has the predatory instincts to just put them away. That's the one. From seeing him live a few times, what Shevlin has, a little edge he has compared to a lot of strikers. Whereas even when the ball comes in and looks as though he's not going to get on it, he's just able to muscle his way in to get a little touch, get a wee knock-in when it's one-on-one. He wins a lot of one-on-one battles, either on the ground or, or in the air. And he has a bit of pace and a bit of composure that really sets him, for me, ab- above the rest. And he's got plenty of years in, in this league and uh, just everything about him as a centre-forward. I I could talk all podcasts about him. He's, uh, he's brilliant and... Uh, he's having a great season so far for Korea. He reminds me a wee bit of Curtis Allen in some respects. He you does. Know, You're right. M- m- maybe not outside the box, but you know, running into the box and in and around the box, it's just instinctive. It's just instinctive. It it's just a knack of knowing where to be and 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 how to get. And some players have that. I I, I cast my mind back to a player called Michael Holiday, played for 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 Glen Torren twenty years ago, and. He's still playing, actually, Michael, I think. Down a banger, I believe. <laughs> Down a banger. Good fella. Um, you know, and I would have had not not arguments with Roy Coyle as manager at the time. You know, Roy Coyle was flying high and had a load of different um, strikers to call upon. And and he, he, he maybe wouldn't have, he himself mightn't have put Michael in the absolute top drawer in terms of his technical ability. But I would say, but Roy, he gets goals and he gets big goals. He gets them off his backside, off a shin, off whatever, you know. But he's just got that instinct to be in the right place at the right time in the box. And Matthew, Chevy has it as well. Uh, one man who says, excuse me, I've been doing this for years and years and years. He's got a new contract right in his back pocket. And he was one of many players that inspired Cliftonville onto a 4-0 victory at home Cliftonville getting it done when they need to. Of course, I'm talking about Joe Gormley. What a goal. The way he took the ball, spun in the box and dinked it into the net. He has class. As if it was ever in doubt that Joe Gormley has class in the box. Chapeau. I was at the game and, and uh, you know, it was, an, it was an incredible move, you know, right from Ronan Doherty to Rory, Rory Hill hooked it across. And you did, you're watching the cross going across the end. That's deep and... You know, it's just too big for Joe and he'll have to, you know, you're thinking he'll, 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 he'll turn and he'll hair it down and he'll recycle the move, you know? Not at all. Those big go-go gadget legs, bingo, plucked it out of the air and it's just, again, instinct, Peter, hooked it past Sean O'Neill. It was just, it was a thing of beauty to watch. When we look at, at, at you know, some of the big classic Cliftonville teams over the past years, some of those title charges, he's been a real key figure to that. 
We talk about transfers in and out. Perhaps the biggest moment of the transfer window for Cliftonville. It's not somebody that come in. It's not anybody that went out. It's the fact that Sean Murr, the new starlet of the league, 17 years old, he's going to be here. He's going to be playing in the red of Cliftonville for the rest of this season. He could be a key cog. If there's red and white ribbons around the Gibson Cup at the end of the season, he should be one of the first people in line to have a good look at that because he has been key in some big moments this season. Well, he has, you know, there's he hasn't been as influential as other members of the team, hasn't played as much as other members of the team. And it's a balancing act here, Peter. No doubt the lad has talent. Smashing player. On the one hand, Cliftonville are sort of, you know, they're urging press men and journalists to say, here, listen, stop hyping him up. Stop hyping him up. He's only a wee lad. And, you know, you're putting too much pressure on him. And then they're looking a quarter of a million off West Ham or whatever the case may be. You know, and I get that. I I, I, I I get that uh, he was never leaving the club in this in the January transfer window. I mean, the soundings from Cliftonville were like, listen, if somebody comes in and makes an offer for them, they might buy him, but he's staying here on loan. That'll be part of the deal until the end of the season. They were absolutely adamant, and rightly so, and they've carried it through. Yeah, there's something really, really enjoyable, lovely to watch about Sean Murray. He's got that languid style. Everything seems so, you know, he seems so composed in the ball, and it, he almost looks slow in what he's doing, but so effective, if you know what I mean, because of that 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 easy going left peg of his that just feathers the ball into the net and whatever. Um yeah, he's a smasher, there's no doubt about it. Uh but but you know, he you know, let's not overhype it. I mean, he's a great prospect that's come in, but he certainly won't have the influence of you know, Levi Ives or the Hills or or Joe Gormley. And just on Joe Gormley, Peter, you know, there's just well he won't he. Cliftonville were going to offer him a one-year deal. Joe laughed at it, you know, no chance. He wanted a two-year deal. You know, certain people online were saying, ah, user, you know, you know, they're it's just the usual well, he won't they, you know. I got bored with it quite early on and said, Listen, Joe's gonna sign for Cliftonville the end of the season. We've been done this dance before. Um, the thing the thing that maybe spooked him or spooked maybe people in his camp was the fact that that Paddy signed David Parkhouse. Um you know, who, who who Paddy would know through his dairy connections. I think Paddy played with his uncle Stephen, who who won the title with the Glens years ago. Um and it was a bit of an odd one. I mean, because I don't know if I was asking you, Peter, who would you have as a striker? Who would you pick right now? And I'm talking about bearing in mind the ages, David Parkhouse or Joe Gorman. It's it's squad building, isn't it? It's it's that do you commit to the future, but then do you have to have do you want what you have right now? You know, Parkhouse had an incredible amount of potential and had a brilliant run with with Balamina and looked sharp for his time with with Derry. But I can see it. Sometimes you've got to you've got to bring in the new resource when they're not ready, and you've got to develop. And sometimes you've got to say goodbye when there's a bit of value. So, do you want to play chicken in that scenario? I'm I'm not the one to say, but sometimes these teams have got to, got to go for it. Well, they have the opportunity. Well, all's well that ends well at Solitude, and it <laughs> did end well. And David Parkhouse did get off, um, you know, got, got got scored his debut goal, and hopefully that'll work out. I, I suspect we'll probably see the best of David when he gets a full pre-season. You're right, I think he's, he's one who's bought for the future. Well, yeah, absolutely. That's that's a great team to be in. You talk about all those fantastic attacking players. You're going to get opportunities when you're in a team like Cliftonville. Talking about 
bonkers things that happened on on the pitch. I think most other weeks this would have went straight to the top of the running order. Carrick Rangers won, Glenavon won. They both end with ten men each. There's a sending off for Stuart King. This was a bit of a bonkers game, but has all the blood and thunder that you expect from an Irish League game as well. Aye, yes, yes, yes. You know, but, you know, 20 years ago, you wouldn't have had any red cards in that game. Hi, you know what? Let's let's get on. I know exactly what you mean. I don't know if looking at that, and if it was at the other side of the pitch, not on the side of the pitch where it was right in front of the team's dugouts, would the referee be jumping in with a red card nine minutes into the game? I'm talking about Kyle Cherry getting sent off within the first 10 minutes for Cark Rangers. I, yeah, I have a funny take on this. And we, we discussed it in the Solitude press box there. That's, well, you know, when, when it came up on the BBC run, um, my initial reaction was it wasn't a red card because I could see, yes, Cherry went in with a high foot. But if you've played football, I think it was a safe challenge because he was just far enough away that he wasn't going to go through, in my opinion. That said, it was mentioned to me by a colleague, you know, well, what's the difference between that and Sean Muir's red card, which I did agree was a red card because my rationale would have been, well, it could have been dangerous. And the only way to make sure that, you know, you protect your players is by clamping down on these rash tackles. The second red card, I didn't get to see it too much, Peter. I must be honest with you, because the way I looked at it, I couldn't really see what he did. There was, you know, I don't know, was there an elbow or was it a wee fly dig? I don't know. I, I, I can't really say too much about that. But at the same time, you know, they didn't see, again, I didn't see an overt. Maybe the referee spotted it. And then the tangle with Gary Hamilton and Stuart King at the, yeah, something or nothing really, you know, for me. What, what might be key there, and look, I don't have the referee's report, what could be key there is potentially what uh, happens after that, what may, what may have been said, but... A weird little interaction, of course, you're talking about Sure King being sent off, where Gary subbed himself onto the game. He's he's played a role in that goal, reeling back the years or winding back the years, whatever. And then there's a bit of afters of the ball and Gary kind of has his arm around the back of Sure King. Sure King had the ball underneath his own arm. And for a red card, referee must have seen or heard something, but... That's true. But on the face, I don't know. I didn't know. I don't know if Stuart... If Stuart said something i'm only going on on the pictures that i watched and it was nothing really yes it was a bit of a you know and yeah bit of a sort of a skirmish but I, the way i saw it is those two guys would know each other you know they would know each it's other a, it was a second it was a second yellow leading Ex- to a red i accept that i accept that yeah. you know they didn't continue on with each other after you know they sort of disengaged and that was kind of it maybe stewart said something out of turn i don't know but i wouldn't have it was it was you know listen I would have just wave play on. I mean, at that stage, the game was so, you know, hotly contested that I think both teams would have been just looking to score goals rather than worry about something that something nothing that happened on it in, in the dugout. So, you know, again, I have an issue sometimes with a modern referee, not just in Northern Ireland here, about you know applying the letter of the law rather than the spur of the law. You know, I think a referee like Ray Crangle or a referee years ago like Herbie Barr, somebody would have said, hey, lads, knock out in the head, move on, end of story. I would always have a preference watching our league to have the games play on. Is it, you know, let, let, let it smooth out 
why are we giving out a yellow card here? Is it for safety or is it for being an inch over what the law says? You know, I, I would rather see the games go on and, and, and those yellows and reds be for, for clear, clear punishments. Carrick Raiders will be ultimately disappointed by the end. They let Glenavon come in, sucker punch them with the goal. It's probably a result that doesn't really help either team. Hey, you'd have thought that Glenavon would have been, you know, you'd have, I'm sure Glenavon would have fancied themselves to beat Carrick. Um, and on paper, all right, we know that they're injury ravaged, so that's maybe a bit of a leveler. Yeah, two gutsy teams, two gutsy teams playing below their capabilities, in my opinion, certainly of late. Maybe not earlier on the season, and I don't think either of the managers would disagree with that at all. So they're 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 not scrapping for their lives, but they're giving their all. They want to make things right from for 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 what they've done earlier on the season, which is shipped too many points. And they want to be in with a shout of getting that seventh place and at least being in the hat yeah, for getting involved with the European playoffs. See if they can get frisky and and just while we're here, we can reflect on the moves by uh, Carrick. Uh, Nettis Michaelitis came in earlier on in the window, but uh, down uh, within the wee hours of the transfer window there, James McLaughlin moves from Coleraine to Carrick. Is there a wee ex-Coleraine crew of, of, of players that are having a wee party time there at Carrick? I felt as though McLaughlin, he wasn't getting consistent time in the Coleraine team. He would have been a prime target for any of those teams looking to add reinforcements or looking to upgrade their striking force He's in there at Carrick, uh, and that could be a, a key man if they are to nick that seventh place. Yeah, Carrick were trying to get James McLaughlin early doors, and uh, they weren't on their own. There's no doubt about that. James McLaughlin appeared on the scene at, at Coleraine as one of the new wave that Owen was trying to um, harvest from the locale as such, you know, the north coast and that area. He's from Ballamoney. Um, he came from an amateur background. He looked like a bit of an amateur when he arrived in the top flight. Yes, he had, but he, but I mean, listen, he, he sort of knuckled down and slimmed down a bit, and there's no doubt, no doubt in his, his ability. Slipped down the packing order at Coleraine, wanted to play. Why did he go to Carrick and not on somewhere else? I don't know. What about geographical? If I don't know where where James lives now, whether it's still in Ballymoney, it's maybe handier to get to Carrick than Glenavon. I don't know. Um, but certainly a wee bit of a feather in the cap for 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 Stuart King, who I must say I think is doing a, a fair job at Carrick. Um, that might sound like I'm damning him with faint praise, but I'm not. I mean, I do like Stuart's enthusiasm, his connections, his work in the market. Yeah, I mean, he's, he wanted strikers. He's got two James McLaughlin and Natus Masculitis, so it's good work done by him. It's over to the boys now to deliver the goods. And we wrap up this Saturday by going to the Sunday game. Really, really massive two points dropped by Lauren as they go down to the Newry showgrounds and only come away with the one point. Nil-nil it ends. Steve Maguire looked inspired at times in the Newry goal after having been on the other end of a, a couple of long-range goals that he will like to forget. But this was one of his better days and uh, Newry make it work for them. They get a point, a big, big point for them. And for Lorne, their lack of goals right now is somewhat going under the radar. They bring in a couple of players in January, but if they are to stick at the top, if they are to really push Cliftonville, who's currently in the driver's seat, they can't let games like this. These are the type of games where 
you know, one of your big strikers is going to have to step up and make it happen. And they got 2-0 against Portadown at home on the Tuesday game pass, but they are not firing them in in the quantities they would probably like to be. No, and it brings us around a conversation we're saying at the, the, the head of the discussion about Crusaders dropping silly points. Everybody's dropping silly points, Peter. Now, the thing about, <clears throat> excuse me, Lauren, is has it been, you know, has the balance been upset by the moves in the market in January? You know, before Christmas, Lee Bonus and Paul O'Neill, I thought they were flying two excellent strikers. Some changes at Inver Park. Now, since uh, they brought to Joe Thompson in, and they brought a striker in from... They brought about three players in from Scotland, if I'm correct. They did indeed. They, they bring in also Joe Thompson, Maguire. Uh, Michal Glynn comes in replaces Ben Doherty. So, and then you also have Andy Ryan coming in uh, uh, as a wide player from Hamilton Ackies and Jamie Partington from Grimsley. So, selection of players, BJ Banda has a bit of cover up top as well. So, they all have to be filtered in as well. I think they needed cover for sure because, you know, obviously at the start of the window as well, there were concerns that maybe Lee Bonus might be, you know, there were rumours that, you know, there might be a club coming in from him. I don't think they were necessarily founded. But still, they did need cover. They knew they needed cover for the for the two boys as well. I'm not particularly worried about Lauren. I think they'll be there or thereabouts. I don't think they'll they'll, they'll, they'll slip away. I think they had actually have quite a good, a strong January transfer window, all things considered. Went about their business quietly, picked up a little, for their point of view, hopefully a rough diamond here and there. And um, yeah, there's a lot. There's there, there, there's a lot to like about them. Um, they were frustrated by Nuri at the weekend last weekend. Stephen Maguire is a keeper. You mentioned there about the long range ones. Yeah, fair enough. But earlier on the season, I, I was very impressed with Stephen. I know he's a seasoned keeper, but there was a lot of games I thought he did very very well for, and Nuri did very well and. Uh, and as well, generally, results haven't been what they should have been, maybe at Newry. But talking to Darren last week, Darren was very upbeat. He thought that while they had lost games, you know, the likes of Glen Torn, they thought they'd performed quite well. He was buoyed by the fact that they'd claimed a point off Balamina. Um, and they thought he thought that this would be something that, that they could build on. And QED, you know, it was proven to be true. They they were able to build on it by taking a very, very valuable point against against Lauren. Again, there's a lot to like about New East City. I'll be honest with you, Peter. You know, Darren would be the first to admit that maybe they don't have the stars that other clubs have. Um maybe don't have the same level of quality as other clubs have. And I understand that, you know, much like Coleraine and, and Nuri and whatever else, it's hard to attract. A lot of players are from Belfast and a lot of players are attracted to clubs in Belfast. It's not always as easy to, to bring them down. So so what Darren has done there is he's forged a band of brothers as such at Nuri. They know him. He knows them. It's a very tight-knit club and they're getting success out of that because what they might lose out on in terms of quality, they can make up for in togetherness. It's Irish Cup sixth round weekend. This weekend, eight games. Only the one Premiership team out. It's just we're missing Carrick, I believe, after losing out to Balamina in a penalty sh- shootout in the last round. So we've got eight games. We'll not go through all of them in depth. Some of the big headline ones are the likes of Lauren hosting Linfield, Cliftonville hosting Coleraine. 
You've got Glenavon uh, hosting the Welders. Ballyclare goes to Institute in an old championship tie. Balamina will hope not to be on the end of an embarrassing cup upset when they take on a Newington. Knock Breda host the Swifts, albeit that game. And then live via streaming, BBC, Banger, host Crusaders. That's a great cup tie, isn't it, on Friday night? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's uh, full of maybe colour and pomp, you know, Banger on what they used to be, but did a good pedigree in the cup years ago. Crusaders now have a decent pedigree in the cup in recent years. Uh, it's a colourful one, but you'd be, you know, unless Stephen, you know, Crusaders should win with the best will in the world to what Fino's doing down there, and he's doing good stuff, but they're still a fair way off. So uh, from a romantic point of view, yes, it is colourful, but, you know, I'd be surprised if Crusaders didn't overcome Banger quite handily. Funny enough, the only one that the only one that I think could be a potential banana skin or a potential upset is Glenavon against the Welders. That's Big the time. only real possible one that I think, and I'm not even sure it'll happen. Um, I was going to say that it'll, it'll not happen now that they've signed Jordan Stewart, Peter, but then I think he's cup-tied, you see. Another cute move by Mr. Healy. I, I wouldn't pass. I wouldn't put anything past Glenavon and when it comes to big dramatic wins to soul crushing dramas so yeah that could go anywhere Harlan Wolf Welders are one of the informed teams in the league right now they're scoring for fun at times Portadown would have maybe had a better chance against Glen Torn of five weeks ago it doesn't look as rosy there I think Knock Breda as much as they've been up and down the championship on that pitch up at Breda Park if Dungannon don't turn up Knock Breda could get a goal get a wee shock there I think I played each other before that time of the year look Lauren Linfield, that you know, what people say throughout throughout the form book, but genuinely, Lauren Linfield, Cliftonville Corian, throw it out because those are proper proper cup ties there. Yeah, looking at the two games, the only thing that I would maybe read into it is the fact that Cliftonville will be home, will be glad that they're playing Corian at home because of very very good form at Solitude. Um, it's very very tight. Both, Mac, how do you look at either of them? You know. Uh, Lauren Linfield in my opinion Lauren or sorry Linfield just aren't as strong as they were last year Um, they still have that Linfield winning mentality there's no doubt about that uh, now Jamie Mulgrew he was injured I don't know if he's going to be back I don't know what the story, I didn't, don't know what the crack is with him if they were to lose him you know I would be a little bit worried because I think they need character in their team and Jimmy Callagher's already out and you can have players of the same ability, but it's that warrior spirit, you know, that being there, done it, that everybody else in the team can just look around and look at Jamie and Jimmy and know they're going to do the business. You can absolutely rely on those guys 110%. Um, but Lauren have wobbled as well a wee bit. I, I don't think... If I was a betting man, and I do enjoy a little wager now and again, I'm not a heavy, big gambler at all, but like an interest, whew, I don't know. You'd maybe be looking at now draw over 90 minutes for that one. Who, you know, the outcome, I just don't know. Cliftonville Coleraine, really too tight to call. Really, really, really too tight to call. Possibly Cliftonville, but then Cliftonville will give you, we've got the old Irish Cup hoodoo. One thing I'd say, I think Coleraine have, will have, 
in the league form when they're playing against the big teams they've tried to be solid and attack the other team because they don't want to lose points and are hoping they can come after them I think to a certain extent big game away from home shackles are off we saw it once they were behind last time in the league Corian have nothing to lose here so I think they'll they'll, they'll really go for it if it was up at Corian I would favour them but I think they have a, a stronger chance in the cup than I would rank against some of the other big teams in the league Put a few quid on it then. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you back on again. If people would like to see all the things you think and the thoughts you have, where can they read your opinions, either in online or in uh, black and white ink form? Yeah, I'm a freelancer for the Sunday World, Sunday Life, Belfast Telegraph, and maybe anybody else who'll have me, Peter. Um, you know, so that's basically where I do my stuff. Um, I do do a television show, which name will not be mentioned as well. For it, 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 uh, it pales by comparison by your wonderful podcast. But no, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to 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 be on here, Peter. It's good talking football. We love football, and uh, thanks for putting up with me. I I'm so delighted to have you on another absolute stormer after our first one. Hopefully, I'll I'll, I'll get chatting to you uh, before there is ribbons on a trophy, and we'll divert from football. Is my final question. I'm actually going to throw this out to everybody. I'm booking a stag. Where am I booking it? Because I've got thirty million people saying as you go here, there, and everywhere. I'm going to the continent, and I'm trying to think where I should go. What time of the year? In the next maybe probably May June. Portugal. Sweet. Portugal. Portugal or Amsterdam, take your pick. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I, I will take that. I'll let you know if I'm sitting either on a on a beach or I'm uh, chilling out beside a canal. I'll take a picture of a beer and I'll be thinking of you, Mr. Louie. Good luck to you. Thanks for having us on, Peter. I wish you well. I appreciate it. All the best. Cheers. Bye-bye. And there we go. I was actually not joking about that. I am quite literally going through Skyscanner like it is quite literally my job. If you've listened all the way to the end of this podcast and you're listening to me chat away, you are dedicated and you are appreciated uh, more than you know. So with that, just like message at Kick-A-Match, I haven't done this yet, just as, you know, Twitter me and don't say what it's for, but just say at like places, like cities or something like that, and just add it and I'll know what you're talking about I'll, I'll appreciate it you know and uh, wherever I go I'm sure I'll let you know but uh, yeah I, I, I guess I would say like I should say what kind of vibe I'm after but to be honest I want to I want to hear straight from the mouth free form what is going on I'm looking for a good time with the lads one time I will probably hopefully be going is when all the season is over but before the season is over I'm going to have plenty more just like this please follow me where are you going to ask? Where are you going to tell me these cities or countries? And I want cities. I don't want big countries. I want cities. Tell me exactly where town or micro state or whatever. Tell me cities. You can tell me more than one. And you can tell me via Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. It's at Kicking Match on all of them. Uh, you can also say to your smart speaker, hey, smart speaker, please play Kicking Match on Irish League podcast. But you know that already. Thank you very much. I'll chat to you soon. Sorry, was a bit late this week. You know, just had to get it in with all the transfers and logistics and everything else in between till next time bon voyage